when you're a non-commissioned officer and you're saying, hey, sir, I think you should do this and get people to listen in the right way, I mean, it, it's amazing. Hey, folks, welcome back. This is Mark Devine with the Unbeatable Mind podcast. So stoked to have you with us today. We have a terrific guest, JC Glick, who we're going to talk with about leadership and about resiliency and about mental toughness and about all sorts of things. He's a former Army Ranger, amongst a lot of other things. Uh, before I get started, I want to talk about our initiative to help veterans who are suffering from post-traumatic stress. In January, we launched what we call the Burpees for Vets Challenge. And what I did is challenge um, that my tribe or whoever really cares, which I, I'm hoping that includes you, to do 22 million burpees this year. So we're organizing teams and or individuals and at burpeesforvets.com you can register and pledge a certain number of burpees and a, an amount per burpee that either you will donate or you'll go out and get you know pledges or people to support you. So I'm committed to 100,000. I'll probably end up doing about 120 or so. I'm doing that in chunks of 300 a day and it's become a really amazing practice because I connect with my why, which is to help these vets and my little bit of suffering is going to go to alleviate their suffering, hopefully. And um, so not only are we doing $22 million, $22 million, wouldn't that be amazing? 22 million burpees, but we intend to raise a minimum of $250,000. And with that, put um, as many vets as possible through an intensive um, three-day training with 18 months of aftercare using the tools of Unbeatable Mind. So breath control, movement, ethos, teamwork, you know, really the tools that we know that work and that are so desperately needed by these folks. So if you're so inclined, if you feel motivated, you want to suffer a bit doing one of the probably the single best bodyweight exercise invented by Mr. Burpee, then join us. Go to burpeesforvets.com and uh, I appreciate it, and I know JC would appreciate it, and I know that the vets will appreciate it. Uh, one last thing. Uh, I have the fifth anniversary edition of my book, The Way of the Seal, is coming out on Memorial Day. It's got a couple new chapters, one on leading in VUCA and one on building elite teams, and it's been completely edited and updated. I'm really stoked for this book. I think it's great, um, of course. And you can find information about it or pre-order it with some special gifts at wayoftheseal.com. So there you have it. All right. So my guest I mentioned is J.C. Glick. Um, J.C. was an infantry officer, uh, served as a ranger in a, in a special mission units, been on 11, that's right, 11 combat tours. He led the Army School on Leadership Development, Resilience, and Fitness, and uh, developed the, the program for what they call the Army of 2025 in those areas. He's a thought leader in adaptive and proactive programs of instruction centered on developing leadership behaviors and values in dynamic VUCA environments. And his book is called A Light in the Darkness, Leadership Development for the Unknown. Man, I can't wait to read that, JC. Or It, it's, um, it sounds a lot like leading in VUCA. <laughs> I, I, I think so. I, it probably is. And, uh, and I'll yeah. send you one. Thank you. I appreciate that. So um, you just reminded me that we connected five years ago. Um, uh, it's a t you know to think about or to you know explore the possibility of bringing SEAL fit into the Army's training regimen. So let's start there. Uh, what was it about 
the Army's training regimen? What was it about what we were doing at Seal Fit that was intriguing you, or what was the gap? So, um, so it was funny. I uh, I taken command, battalion command, um, about let's see, it was 12, 13, about fifteen months after my um, last combat deployment, and mm-hmm. about three months after I was diagnosed with severe post traumatic stress disorder. Um, wow. where it was recommended that I medically retire. And I, I fought that and was able to stay and mainly because I, I ended up getting a great psych who had talked to me about breathing and had talked to mm-hmm. me about different, different things that she had studied. And I thought it was important, you know, to build resiliency into soldiers at basic training. We, we were, mm-hmm. we were sending soldiers to resiliency training, you know, years later, you know, once they had right. already either been, it was it was almost like fixing something as opposed to, you know, getting ahead of the bang, getting left to the bang. And, you know, the idea was let's bring some of these techniques to basic training to let soldiers see those. I was, I was unsuccessful. I was successful in bringing some folks in. I wasn't successful in bringing you in, but we did end up bringing the uh, resiliency school in. Um, and train the drill sergeants on resiliency methods that they could teach the privates. Okay. So you got some progress. We did. We did. And and now, (laughs) yeah, just not, you know, it must've been the seal part that the army was uh, uncomfortable. (laughs) I think that's right. It makes sense. Yeah. Well, I was saying even the seals have not formally brought us in. They've just sent people to our training and, and are starting to integrate some of the the breath and the visualization and the you know the core type skills into the training. So it's great to see in any event because you're right. We need to you know we need to build that resiliency as a preventative maintenance tool up front, and it, it's a game changer. It, it really is. And uh, and learning how to do some of that stuff changed my life for the better, and helped me get a lot healthier uh, along with some other stuff. But I think that that training training warriors on initial entry. You know, that's, that's not about safety or that, you know, that's not about, you know, being kind to them. That's about giving them the tools that they need. I mean, we prepare their bodies. Why wouldn't we prepare their minds to go to combat? Sure. Yeah. And not only will it help them, you know, ward off the stress, but it'll make them more effective. I mean, they're going to be better decision makers because they'll be more grounded and aware and in control in the ship storm. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that was actually the premise of SealFit, as you're aware, because you, had, you know, had some exposure to it, was to, to create a more world-centric, aware, you know, evolved warrior, you know, starting with the spec ops. And um, it's slow. It's a long-term process, right? Because we're doing it mano a mano or, you know, some women too. But um, it's starting to have an impact. I think there's like, you know, there's three or 400 SEALs now who were actively trained with seal fit either on their own or through our events like a coral camp or the academies and stuff so that's pretty cool and also a lot of rangers and marines have been through the trainings so I, I think it's it's, cool. it's really- I, I think it makes so much sense and and i know that you work with a lot of law enforcement as well in fact that yeah. one of the departments that i work with is a is a huge supporter and has sent a number of uh, deputies to to seal fit nice well, that's good to hear yeah. Um, so we got a lot, a lot more to talk about with regard to vets and, you know, post-traumatic stress, but let's save that for a little bit later. I really want to get into like your life and what kind of made you tick and why you got in the military and, you know, what was your, your journey into 
special ops. Uh, well, you know, so let's go back a few years, you know, to like what got you interested in the military. If you can remember that far back. Wow. I, <laughs> like, I, have, a, I, have, a hard, I have a hard time remembering what happened yesterday, but <laughs> I can tell you that, you know, I, I grew up and, uh, you know, my parents got divorced at a very early age. They lived with my mom uh, and it wasn't a really good home environment. When I was 18, uh, I pretty much left home and um, I was on my own uh, and I had been estranged from my dad for a while. And so I did not, I, I mean, I was, I was basically homeless for, for, for a while wow. and started, you know, crashing on people's couches. I was, I was, I was never much of a, a student in high school. I mean, I, I, I think I graduated 112th out of 120 kids um, and was more interested in, uh, in sports and everything else other than school. So, Actually, after bouncing around for a little while, it was right before the Gulf War. And I decided, well, I'm going to join the Marine Corps. And I called my dad to let him know uh, that, hey, you know, I'm going to be in the, you know, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to join the Marine Corps. And I hadn't talked to him in forever. And he's like, well, hey, before you go, why don't we, why don't we catch up? And so I, I went to go see him. And long story short, when I went to go join the Marine Corps, I wound up walking out of the Marine Corps recruiters with like an application in the Naval Academy, which I was wholly unqualified for. And my dad's like, all right, well, let's see what your other options are. I got in the University of Rhode Island and, and, and good things just started to happen. I, I earned a scholarship and was able to play sports and um, did very well. And, and I realized that I went from this kind of really, really bad childhood to being, uh, you know, an adult who was going nowhere and really came up with something that was, um, you know, really got to do something that I thought I could only do in the United States and I wanted to pay back. Um, mm -hmm. So I talked to the ROTC uh, recruiter and uh, I said, I I'd like to serve and this is what I want to do. And he said, yeah, no problem. We can, we can do that for you. And, and mm -hmm. uh, then it just kind of went from there. So you did Army ROTC at University of Rhode Island, and then after that, you went to where infantry school, and then yeah, you so out of that yep. Out. So I went, I went, um, I, I graduated uh, on the twenty first. Was commissioned on the twenty first of May. Um, I spent the summer as like a, a recruiter, and then went to the infantry officer basic course. From the basic mm -hmm. course, I went to Ranger School. From Ranger School, I went to the infantry mortar leaders course. Um, mm -hmm. and then I wound up at the 80, I was a platoon leader in the 82nd airborne division. Um, did mm -hmm. an AT, I had an AT platoon and a rifle platoon, uh, did a deployment to Haiti and then, um, mm -hmm. was lucky enough. I was late, but, um, and that's a story in itself, but I was late getting to the regiment. I was, I was, a, I was already a first Lieutenant. Um, and I was lucky enough that McChrystal, uh, agreed to let me in. And, uh, then was he running the regiment at the time? He was, he was and my brigade commander. So I was working for Petraeus at the time. And, <laughs> That's awesome. um, yeah, what a great group of mentors. Man. So, God. so I had Petraeus and I had done best ranger for him through the 82nd. And when I, when my packet went before him, he said, Nope you're not going to the Rangers. You're staying here. We do the same thing as the Rangers. I was like, yeah, that's not really true. We, we don't. Um, he wasn't a big Ranger fan. I mean, he had the opportunity to go to the Rangers and decide to go to Princeton instead. And um, 
though the day he left and General Horse took over, Horse signed my packet, sent it to McChrystal. McChrystal interviewed me and said, okay, you can come to selection. And um, it worked out. But uh, I spent from, you know, the, what, 98 to, they had to, they had to basically order me to leave and go to <laughs> course. Um, I, I was in third ranger battalion. Um, I, I went to the advanced course commanded, uh, I was again, really lucky. Um, Mick Nicholson, who's now commanding over in Afghanistan, uh, was my battalion commander. We were just starting the strikers, um, mm-hmm. and did the, uh, I commanded in the strikers and then went right back to the regiment. Nice. Well, most people, I, I don't want to assume everyone listening knows about the Rangers much, but um, first off, you know, going to Ranger school doesn't mean you're going into the Rangers, right? That's a, uh, that's a qualification. Right. And then you have, to, you have to go to selection to be part of the Ranger Regiment. And the Ranger Regiment is, is the part that's, the, you know, attached to the Special Operations Command, right? That's correct. So tell us a little bit about the Ranger Regiment and what the mission is and uh, what your, you know, some of the formative or like just incredible experiences you had in forming you as a leader. So, so that would be, I, I could talk forever about all those things. I mean, the Ranger Regiment and I got to see it in, in peacetime and in wartime and, um, you know, and I got to watch its evolution from, you know, basically airfield seizures and, um, you know, taking uh, sensitive items off of a target to going and doing high value targets in Iraq and Afghanistan and all over the world and becoming uh, much, you know, there was so much work after, after nine 11 that, you know, there was more than enough to go around and, and the Rangers were a good fit for those types of missions, especially as, you know, our selection got better and our training programs got better and we started to get more and more Ranger qualified, you know, to be a leader in the Ranger regiment, you have to go to Ranger school. And so it, it's just a, it, it's just such a great leadership organization. And I'll tell you, my, my formative years did start as a platoon leader in peacetime at third Ranger battalion. Um, because I, I got to, I got to watch the best NCOs, non-commissioned officers, you know, in the world do their job. Right. And that's where I learned how to lead. Um, actually, mm-hmm. if you think about it, it was actually before that, cause my platoon leader in the, or my platoon sergeant, when I was a platoon leader in the 82nd, had come out of first ranger battalion. And mm. so I was being taught by ranger NCOs from the time I came into the army. And, mm. you know, and, and that's really where I learned how to lead is from watching those NCOs. I mean, we can talk about, you know, the McChrystals and, and the Allens uh, and the Ferreters and they're all studs and I'd, I'd follow them today. Um, but the truth of the matter is, I mean, the NCOs made such a huge impact because Right. They had to lead up, down, and sideways, and right. Right. that's true leadership. You know, it's easy to be it's easy to be a battalion commander or regimental commander and say, "Hey, go do this," and because people are going to do it because of your position. But when you're when you're a non commissioned officer and you're saying, "Hey, sir, I think you should do this," and get people to listen in the right way, I mean, it, it's amazing. Yeah, no, I love what you just said, and I completely agree. That's the most challenging part when you're right in the middle and you have to lead in all directions. And and to be fair, everyone, you could say everyone striving for excellence in leadership, if you had that mindset, you know, that the mindset of, of um, leading in all directions, then you will succeed at a much higher level. Because, you know, you have stakeholders all around you. You know, some you work for, some don't work for, so they work for you, some are just involved 
you know, in some way, like an NGO or, or a civilian, you got to be cognizant and be able to communicate at a, at a, at a real personal level with all of them or, or you just will fail. You can't be autocratic or dictatorial or, you know, your style has to be very authentic. I think it seems to me that's probably what you're, what you're writing is about listening or looking at the title of your book, Light in the Darkness, Leadership for the Unknown. Yeah. But then the, the subtitle you say, um, where is it? Oh, well, I don't have it in front of me, but Ms. McChrystal, who gave you, this is what I'm looking at, who gave you the, um, gave you a, a, a little blurb for their book says people are above anything else. This yeah. essential truth often for organization leaders is at the heart of your engaging insightful book. Yeah. And, and he so, did, and he did the forward for it. And, um, and what he liked, what he liked was I dedicated it to every NCO I've ever worked with. Um, nice. because, because that is, that's, that's where I learned leadership. And I don't know that a lot of officers, I think we all know it. I don't know that we all admit, admit it. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. So besides that, I mean, that, that kind of like broad truth. Yeah. What, what were some of the most interesting leadership lessons from the regiment? You know, like if you were to say, hey, you know, if you were to written the book, you know, I know someone else has written that book, lessons from leadership lessons from the Ranger Regiment. Right. What would be the top, you know, four or five principles? So I think, um, I think the first one I learned was as lieutenant, which was if we were doing this, an exercise, an EDRI, an emergency readiness deployment exercise. So we alerted, wheels up, got dropped into this really tough area, you know, heavily vegetated area and, you know, had to move, you know, it was a, it was a move till daylight kind of thing. And, um, Mm -hmm. and the terrain was just really tough. And I remember thinking, you know what, we're not getting anywhere and we're moving too slow and okay, forget about this. Hey, everybody. And we'd been, we'd been going for, you know, 20 hours and I was like, all right, Hey, we're going to go to one third security. I want everybody to take a nap for at least, you know, 30 minutes. And Mm -hmm. like, so we went down to minimum security and we racked and Hmm. when everybody got up, when everybody got up, we moved like lightning. I had never seen, I mean, we were just totally different guys and we got to our our assembly area like hours before anyone any of the other platoons had gotten to any of theirs and just because had, you had taken some time to recover we had just taken a couple of, you know i don't think we had slept for more than 30 minutes and it was wow. funny i did you know we all have observer controllers who are behind us it turns out that behind behind my platoon and i didn't know this was mccrystal who was the regimental commander and uh, General Allen, who just left as vice chief of staff, but was the battalion commander. And uh, we're in the assembly area and this guy comes up to me and I, I can't see who it is. He goes, hey. And I look and I'm like, oh, it's it's uh, it's Colonel Allen. <laughs> he said, who made the decision to, uh, to you know, go into a rest plan? I said, I, I did, sir. And I fully expected to get fired right then and there. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and McChrystal comes up right behind him and goes, that was a good choice. And then they just walked off. And I remember thinking, you know, and it's kind of what McChrystal says, right? Put your people above everything. And at that mm-hmm. moment, I realized, look, I got to take care of my guys. And if I take care of my guys, they will do anything in the world. Right. And, and I think that was the first big lesson I learned. And, and I, that, never, that never failed me from that moment on. Right. 
and and I I wouldn't necessarily you know advise other folks to hey just take a nap on a patrol, but I think it was <laughs> I, I think it was at that time the right thing to do. The other yeah, I mean, if, if if everyone's just pushed to the edge, then you're not doing anyone any favors, you know, by pushing them over the edge. Well, well, that was it. We we, just, gotta, we we weren't getting any better. We weren't getting anywhere, and it was right. you know okay, we're we're at the point of diminishing returns. So what we're right. doing isn't working. We have to adapt, right? Which is which is something I talk to organizations about all the time. You know, kind of that Bushido code of the way of the warrior. Right. You know, we've. We've got to make sure that, that that we're adapting when we need to. Right. Now, I know you appreciate some soreness brought on by getting busy with a bruising workout, but doesn't it suck when excessive soreness throws us off our game, causing us to back down on our effort, or even erasing those hard-won gains? That is why building recovery into our training plan is so important. Now, one way that I do that is with a simple-to-use recovery and healing tool called PowerDot. PowerDot is an electrical muscle stimulation device that forces type 2 muscle contractions, allowing you to increase muscle performance, speed up recovery, and also find a deeper mind-body connection. I've used complicated stim devices in the past to heal from my back injuries, but those were clumsy devices and not very effective to use for everyday use. The PowerDot, however, is a game changer because of its simplicity and the control through a well-designed mobile app. It's portable and powerful, making it usable for daily recovery or as needed for excessive soreness and to ward off potential overtraining injuries. PowerDot puts professional-level physical therapy into your gritty hands, saving valuable time and money. Now, the PowerDot team loves us at SealFit and Unbeatable Mind, and they have a generous offer for us. You can get 25% off the device when you go to powerdot.com. That's P-O-W-E-R-D-O-T.com. And use the code UNBEATABLEMIND, all one word, UNBEATABLEMIND, at the checkout. So again, receive 25% off of one of my favorite tools for achieving increased muscle performance and recovery by going to powerdot.com and using that code UNBEATABLEMIND. Hoo-yah. Cool. So, what was the next? Oh, the next one was actually in uh, was during the global war on terror, and now McChrystal is the the JSOC commander, and he says uh, he brings us all in. We're 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 hitting we're hitting high value targets, and there's a lot of dry holes across the whole task force, and guys are getting frustrated, and guys are feeling pretty bad, and um, he brought us all into the clamshell, and he said. Uh, he said, first of all, you know, you're not the best, you're the best available. And, <laughs> and we all, you know, that sounds on, on the face value. That's like, wow, what a humbling thing. And, and it is, I mean, right. it certainly is a humbling thing and it's true, but what it really says is it's okay to fail. It's okay to make mistakes mm-hmm. because if you're making mistakes then you're trying new stuff and you're innovating and you're getting better and, mm-hmm. and, and it was freeing. Right, because if you're not the best, you're not you're not expected to never make mistakes, right? Because I think we had all grown up, you know, whether you were in the SEALs or you were in Delta or you were in the Rangers, you're the best of the best. You you don't screw up, you don't make mistakes, and we had had so much success, and all of a sudden we're being less than than we think successful is, 
And, mm-hmm. and now we've just been freed up by the guy that we all, I mean, I, I, I can't speak for everybody, but I think we all look at, looked at that guy as a true warrior leader and, mm-hmm. and said, okay, look, if this guy says it's okay, then it's okay. And, um, and that, you know, I'll tell you what, I, uh, when I talk to uh, professional sports teams, uh, I'm very clear about, you're not the best, you're the best available. You're, you're the one who, who had the opportunity, who took advantage of the opportunity, who was where he was supposed to be when he needed. It was a lot of this is luck and timing along with effort. And, right. and, and that means you can make a mistake and Oh, by the way, you better fight every day to get better because there's somebody also who's, who's trying to take your place. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, if you're not willing to make a mistake, then you've stopped growing. Right. That's it. That's it. I mean, yeah, you know, we're willing to face the unknown and to face your fears and to you know go where you haven't haven't gone before, and that's going to lead to mistakes. And those are just opportunities to learn and grow and move forward. That's it. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, I, I haven't met General McChrystal. I'd love to someday. Uh, I'd love to get him on this podcast. Even I have read his book, Team of Teams, and it sounds like a pretty engaging or dynamic time to be in Iraq. And I, I was there in 2004, but I think, are you taught, what, what time period are you talking about when you were serving there? Uh, that was 2000, the that was uh, end of 2004, 2005. Okay. Right on. So about the same time I was there. Yeah. And that whole, you know, the whole ability to bring all those diverse stakeholders together and to get them into that aligning unifying narrative, you know, with what he called that shared consciousness. Yep. What was your experience of that, you know, uh, as a ranger needing to, you know, fight with and alongside SEALs and green beanies and, you know, all the different foreign soft, like the, you know, like the Polish Grom and, you know, the Canadians and NGOs and all that. So, so the, so the kind of that, the, the fusion cell idea, um, which, you know, I, I completely believe in and think that it's, it's the only way to do almost anything when you have a whole bunch of organizations trying to accomplish a, a similar task. I thought that, you know, I was totally bought in. Um, it, it made total, it made total sense. Um, what I did mm-hmm. realize is that we hadn't, you know, he wanted us to do this right away and he was absolutely right. We, we needed to do it right away. The problem mm-hmm. was, we are interoperative interoperability was not as good as it should have been because we didn't train as often together as we should have. Um, that obviously, that that obviously changed after, after Oh three, we started training a whole lot more, but the trust that is, you know, you can get guys from first ranger battalion and second ranger battalion together. And there's, there's an inherent, even though they're, they're West coast guys and you're East coast guys, you go, okay, well, you know, they're, they're squared away. I, I understand them. Um, and we didn't always have that initially when, with, uh, with some of our, our counterparts, uh, both ways, right. We didn't, well, we don't really know what these guys do. What are the, you know, uh, these guys are only supposed to be on the water. What are they doing in the middle of the desert or, you know, um, yeah. Or, or these guys, you know, or the seals who are like, Oh, well, you guys are kind of like, you know, Marine recon or the Raiders. I'm like, yeah, no, that's not us at all. And so there's this, this misunderstanding and then there was ego involved and, and so many other things. And, and I think what the value I learned is, and I, I talk about this a lot and it's actually in, I'm, I'm writing a, a book right now uh, called meditations of a ranger and kind of yeah, a, a nice. book on stoicism, um, but kind of, you know, philosophy and, and 
what I realized is trust has to be given. Um, you know, uh, especially in our profession, but I, but I argue everywhere, you know, trust it, to have this, to have some mental model of some bar that somebody has to meet to accomplish, you know, what you want them to accomplish is really, I mean, one, it's egocentric and, and two, it's just not fair when we mm-hmm. give our trust to people like the guy, you know, I flew on an airplane today. I don't know who my pilot was. I don't know where he learned how to fly. I don't, I don't know if he's got kids. I don't know, you know, if he drinks and I trusted him with my life, you know, I, I trust, mm-hmm. you know, everybody who's on the road with me and I, I know I trust them because they get ticked off when they, you know, cut me off because I trusted them to do the right thing. And, mm-hmm. and so I'm giving trust to all these strangers across my life. And here I was in a, in a, in a joint operation towards a joint goal. And there was like some sort of, you got to prove yourself nonsense. And, mm. and that just doesn't, it, it doesn't make any sense. And I think mm. that that was, that was a big takeaway for me is I was really surprised and, and I was guilty of it as well. I mean, probably for the first, you know, couple of years of, of that, you know, kind of the, what we used to call butt sniffing, um, mm-hmm. you know, like when dogs get together and, and, and either, you know, trying to show we're good enough or, Hey, let me see how good this guy is, as opposed to, I trust you, you're on my team. We're teammates. Let's go do this together. Yeah. I mean, we, we have come as a service a long way, you know, since, since I got into the nineties, you know, and a lot of that did happen. I tried to be very open. We didn't have a tremendous opportunity to work with our peers until, you know, we were forced to right yeah. in, the, in the war on terror. But I, I agree with you. Trust is essentially a story, right? And so it, it, what what you're saying when you don't trust someone is that you're, you're you have a story around what's trustworthy and what's not, or who's trustworthy and what's not, and who's not. And you're right. It's like if you're trusting someone on the highway, why aren't why aren't you trusting your highly trained brethren? You know, from a different service. Well, and, and, it, and it's so, so cool funny that you can change that story. We we know? we do that. You know, we do that with the people. We we create some imaginary bar in our head that somebody has to earn our trust, and it's usually for only the people closest to us. It's not for, it's not for, you know, how often do you count your change when you get it back from the cashier or, or how, how often do you look at your food to see if the server spit in it or the chef spit in it? (laughs) We don't do any of that. We're just like, yeah, we blindly trust all these people and the people closest to us, they've got like got to earn, earn our trust. So, so my big thing and and something I talk to, to teams about something I talk to businesses about is, uh, you know, trust has got to be given. You got to look at somebody and, and, and it may have to be earned back if they violate your trust, but you got to go into everything just saying, I, I trust you. I do this, I do this interesting uh, exercise where I talk to folks and I say, okay, you got to climb a ladder, the ladder secure in the ground. And next to the ladder are three people. It's, um, it's your best friend, uh, somebody that, you know, pretty well, but you know, don't see him all the time. And then a complete stranger. And I say, you know, you've got to hand them your wallet, your phone, your, your computer, whatever. Who do you hand it to? And I say, I'll tell you who I hand it to. I hand it to the guy who holds his hand out first. Now, that's mm-hmm. naive if I don't think that any of them could steal my stuff. All three of them could steal my mm-hmm. stuff, really. But I, I look at the guy who's hand, holding his hand out and say, he wants to help. And I also trust that if he does try to take off with the stuff, the other two are going to go get him. And <laughs> And, and I think, and I think we just have to start thinking like that as, as, uh, as we continue on, especially as leaders, 
you know, this, this idea of, you know, earn my trust, you know what, uh, mm-hmm. nobody's special. We, we should, or, or, or we should treat everybody like they are special and you're not more special than them. Yeah. I love that. And I, I think if you spent less time worrying about other people and more time demonstrating your trustworthiness and your authenticity, then the trust would just be automatic. You know, it would, it would just be natural, spontaneous, right? I, I really, I would love if that was the case. I think that, you know, we're not wired that way right away. And I think we've kind of got to rewire ourselves a little bit. Yeah. That's the essence of my training, JC, with Unveiled Mind, is to try to elevate people to that level of consciousness, you know, where they're, they're more world-centric and, and trustworthy and authentic. And, and then from that place, from that center, you know what I mean? That's like a very much of a warrior sense of self-mastery. From that center, they go out and act. And their actions are authentic and often spontaneous. That's that concept of shibumi, effortless perfection. And it just breeds tremendous trust and respect, which then elevates the entire team to an elite level of performance. We see that in the in our finest moments in spec ops, but certainly not all the time. You know? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, this whole idea of leadership you've written about, do you have a particular like model or way to describe your theory of leadership? I and mean, we've already obviously touched on some of it, but as it relates to your book, Light in the Darkness, you know, did you have, do you have like a mystical pyramid or model that you want to share? Or you yeah, can share with I, I'll <laughs> tell you, you know, the, the thing that's, I think unique about, uh, well, I'd like to think is unique about, about what I write about is um, it's different than so many other leadership books in that so many leadership books tell you, this is how you have to do it. This is what you have mm-hmm. to have. These are the character traits that you need to portray. And, and if you do X, Y, and Z, you'll be this kind of leader. And I got to be honest with you, I, I think that's nonsense. Um, you know, all people are different. So all leaders have to be different. And I, I think that, you know, you nailed it earlier. You talked about authenticity. You know, leaders need to be authentic. Um, they need to be themselves. So what I talk about are are more principles than anything else. So my model is 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 it's pretty fluid. It, it basically says help your people find their capacity versus their capability. Capability is your ability to solve a known problem. Capacity is your ability to solve the unknown. So if you think of it in terms of a physical fitness test, and let's look at the old army physical fitness test, which was, you know, two minutes of push-ups, two minutes of sit-ups, uh, two mile run. Well, that that's a capability driven. Like I know what the outcome is. I know what you want from me. So I work on push-ups, I work on sit-ups and I work on a two mile run. Uh, oh, by the way, com- combat is exactly like that, right? <laughs> right. And I did, and I did all that stuff. Yeah. And I did all that stuff in t-shirt and shorts. Right. I mean, that was was why it was such a ludicrous test. But now if you say, Hey, I'm going to test your upper body strength. I'm going to test your core strength and I'm going to test your speed and endurance. Well, holy Mm -hmm. cow. I'm, I'm, I might be hitting the bench. I might be, Mm -hmm. you know, doing planks. I might be doing V ups. I'm, I'm I'm changing Mm -hmm. my routine because I don't know what the test holds. And what I find always funny about organizations with standards and and very set standards on what things need to look like is the world doesn't look when, when we're, when we're struggling, it's never with a thing that we know the answer to. Those are easy things. It's, it's, we're faced with the unknown. 
And so I think that you've got to find opportunities to develop your people for the unknown. And, and what I say is take people as a leader, take people out of the traditional model, which is here's the solution. Do you understand the solution? Yes, sir. I understand the solution. Great. Apply the, uh, apply the solution to this problem I give you. Oh, you did that? Terrific. You can go on to the next one. As opposed mm-hmm. to just saying, here, solve this problem. Right. And, and it might take a little bit longer. I, I can give you an example where, that it doesn't, but they own the solution and it's theirs and they're better at it and they're more comfortable when they're making decisions. They're more comfortable when they're problem solving. I mean, if you, if you set your people up, instead of telling them how to do it and telling them what the outcome you're looking for is, man, they're, they're awesome. And they take accountability and, and they usually really, I mean, come up with such great solutions. And one of the things we did in basic training was, you know, I don't know if you ever went, ever saw army basic training, but our assembly disassembly of the M16 M4 was like a six hour class with like over 300 slides. And <laughs> I sat through it once and I'm like, this is garbage. We never did a slideshow for that. We just literally just, they just handed us a weapon and showed us how to break it down. Then we started practicing. So, so what so we did yeah, was, yeah. So, so, so we stopped in my battalion and we yeah. said, all right, let's go find a YouTube video. Um, which there's way too many of them out there. Um, there's like a lot of just civilians taking apart M4s and M16s on mm-hmm. YouTube. And um, we said, give them a 15 minute video, uh, give it to them the night before. If you, if they get it right away, they can they can watch it once and they're cool. If they're if it takes them watching it five times, that's fine. So we gave them the video. The next day, we we gave them the weapon and we said, take it apart. Mm-hmm. 42, 42 soldiers, trainees had it apart in 10 minutes hmm. because, awesome. because they, and they were helping each other. They're like, Hey, if you do this, cause there's always like five or six preppers, you know, kids who are from, you know, Iowa, who's got 15 of these and in, in his basement next to the beans. And, um, <laughs> you know, he knows, he knows, you know, 18 different ways to do something. And you're like, Holy cow, drill sergeants are learning something from this guy. And, and then you'd have a kid who'd never touched it, but just learned from this kid and is showing somebody next to him how to do it. And so 10 minutes, they're all apart. And then we go, okay, put them back together. Five minutes. Everybody's got their stuff back together and it's theirs and they owned it. And they knew it wasn't just some scary, you know, steel stick. And it wasn't something that they didn't care about. It was theirs. And there was, there was was something to it. And, And I think that that's how leaders have to look at it is, you know, what, what the risk was we'd lose some pieces. We might break some stuff, but I'll tell you what, none of that stuff ever happened. Yeah. I love that. So describing the outcome, getting clear upon the outcome and let the, let the how be uh, a self, uh, a process of discovery and yeah. you come up with more and better solutions. It reminds me of like the difference between complicated and complex. Complicated is understandable. Complex is not right. There's too many, uh, moving parts and um, you can't see the solutions. And so you have to essentially get there through um, knowledge about what you're, you know, what you're looking for, what the intention is, as opposed to the mission plan. You know what I mean? No, no plan it. survives contact. You know? That's it. You know, one of the best things McChrystal ever did was he gave, gave great intent. And, right. and so you'd have a huge op order but then he'd get everybody together and he'd be like, okay, at the end of the day, this is what I want it to look like. And you were like, okay, no matter what happens, we'll make it look like that. 
And right. it almost never went according to the, you know, 150 page op order that we no. had, but it always looked no. like he wanted it to at the end. <laughs> right, exactly. And, and, you know, to be fair, the planning and putting together that op order is important because that's where you, you investigate all the potential avenues toward success and the pitfalls and the obstacles and the contingency plans. You get it all out there and then you let it go and focus on the outcome right, as you execute. Absolutely. And I think, and I think it's important. I think it's important to do it. And, and certainly where you identify friction points, et cetera, and it's a necessary thing. But I, I always tell leaders, look, focus on giving people intent and guidance. And, yeah. and, and if you can do that, they'll, they'll develop better. Cause the goal is the goal of any leader is not the mission. It's making sure their people are resourced to accomplish the mission. And that, that's a paradigm shift for most leaders, right? Right. The Halo Neurostimulation System will help you to push boundaries and to perform at your maximum capacity. Now, I'm often testing new products here at Unbeatable Mind, and Halo is the most recent that I've tested. And I felt it absolutely needed to be passed on to the tribe. It's a neurostim device that electrically stimulates the movement centers in your brain. It helps you to move better and faster through neuroplastic adaptation. It's as simple to use as downloading an app and plugging in headphones and then sticking them on your head. Use it for 20 minutes and then you go do your movement or your workout. Now, Halo, the company, has graciously offered to give a discount to Unbeatable Mind listeners. If you go to haloneuro.com and at checkout use the code UNBEATABLEMIND, one two five, which will give you hundred and twenty five dollars off a Halo Sport model. That's an unbelievable offer. So use Unbeatable Mind one two five at haloneuro.com, h a l o n e u r o dot com to get hundred and twenty five dollars off. Very generous offer that they put together. Hope you check it out. Who ya? One of the things that I've been working on my own organization is developing like free flowing communication, which mm-hmm. has to start with intent, right? That's similar to that idea of, or if not identical to the idea of aligning narrative, which leads to shared, shared consciousness or shared willpower, so to speak. But, um, you know, a lot of people listening are like in small businesses or solopreneurs or, you know, emerging businesses that don't have a lot of structure. You know, when you and I were in the military, the structure, the weight of the structure was enormous, right? And so there, there's upwards and briefs and, you know, synchronization meetings and collaboration coordination, and it's all like mandatory. <laughs> and then there's all these informal things happening, which, you know, are happening as part of the culture. When you get into a small company like ours, which has 13 or 14 people and everyone's running a thousand miles an hour and some people are, you know, working flexible hours here and there. And, I'm, you know, it took me a long time to realize that to, in order to develop that aligning narrative and shared vision and shared intent, you got to come up with some different communication strategies, you know. So what, what's your take on that and the importance of communication and, you know, for a leader? To, to think differently in this world, you know. So, so you know, it, I think it's it's essential, right? And I think what we've got to do as leaders, and one of the toughest things that that I try to convince leaders of is stop telling people what to do and start being curious. Yeah. Um, I, I think that um, you know leaders have to display curiosity, and and so often leaders 
ask questions that they know the answer to. And they usually only ask a question when like somebody's jacked up, like, Hey, why are you doing this? You know? And everybody's Mm -hmm. like, Oh, that means I'm screwed up. I got to fix this. As opposed Mm -hmm. to, Hey, you know what? I understand that you see this differently than I do. So tell me what your thought process was to get you here. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that that's really, really important is that curiosity piece because so many, I mean, I don't know how many times I talk to people young and old and I'm like, oh, leaders got to tell people what to do. They got to give them direction. They got to, you know what? The first thing a leader's got to do is ask some questions because they might Mm -hmm. be going in a really good direction already. So let's, let, let's just, we may only have to affirm where they're going or we may have to just give them a nudge. But I, I think that it's about curiosity in that communication. And it's about, you know, this guy, uh, Barry Gents, and I don't know if you've ever read any of his stuff, um, teaches at Harvard. Um, he wrote the book, Talk Sense. But he talks about this idea of, of people being in, you know, operating communication-wise in one of three boxes, the truth, my truth, and my sense of the truth. The mm-hmm. truth is like black and white, yes or no, two pictures, right? There's only two pictures. It's either this or that. Um, the truth. This is the way it is. My truth is, hey, this is the way it is in my world. I know there's other stuff out there, but this is the way I think mm-hmm. it should be. And then right. my sense of the truth, which is, hey, I think it's this way, but I know that there's a million other pieces of information out there that I don't have that could affect what my answers are on these two things. Right. So I'm willing right. to listen. And most of the time, for a whole lot of good reasons, we operate in one of those first two boxes, right? It's so much easier right. when the guy cuts us off to think he's an idiot than to think, oh my gosh, I wonder if he just got fired and he's not paying attention. Or mm-hmm. I wonder if his kid's sick and he's driving to the hospital. Right. It, it's just, it's just, you know, at, at a certain point you're like, nope, guy's just an idiot. He cut me off. And, and, mm-hmm. and that's okay. You're, you're not a bad person, but when you lead people, I think what you have to do is you have to find yourself in that third box that my sense of the truth and start really going, okay, they're doing these things and maybe it's not the way I saw it. So why are they doing these things? What's, what's leading them that way? Because I make the assumption that they want the same outcome that I do, which they do, right? Your people always, they want, they want to be successful. Right. So this takes, this takes like reprogramming almost because we have these, all these, you know, all these communication biases and, knee-jerk reactions and our brain has been like rutted to respond or think a certain way when it comes to communicating, whether we're a leader or, or we're on the follower end of the stick, you know, one of the things that I resonate with what you're saying is we're trying to, in my organization, use the terminology when we're confused or when things aren't going exactly the way we want is to say, you know what, I've got this story. I'm telling myself this story about what's happening right now or about how, you know, how you perceive, you know, what's going on. So is that accurate or what's your story about what's going on? You know, so you're owning the right there. You're just owning it up front that you might be wrong, you know, and that that you're telling yourself a story about something that might not be real or it might not be their story. You know, that's, that's pretty effective. No, no. I think that's a great technique. And I think that, you know, sharing that data and being very specific on the data that you're sharing and sharing it as data, as opposed to actions. So if, if I say, Hey Mark, when you ignored me the other day, you made me feel bad as opposed to Mark, I went by in the, in the hallway and I said hello and you didn't say anything. And because you didn't say anything, I felt like I was ignored and that made me feel bad. 
Well, that took you out of it. I wasn't attacking you. I was saying what that action, the action that happened and the pieces of data. Now you can go back and go, oh man, I was thinking about this presentation I have to give. I wasn't, I didn't even notice you. I'm so, you know, but it immediately takes you out of the defensive because I'm not attacking who you are. And I think that story, you know, the kind of the, hey, I have a story in my mind. This is what I think. Or, hey, I'd like to share with you how I see something and I'd like to hear how you see it. And, and I think that's I love that. Really the, gu- good. the guiding principle, you know, if I would offer a guiding principle there, and I learned this from uh, Matthew Engelhardt, who, um, founder of Cafe Gratitude and is big on communication, um, is, to, is to own not only what you say, but how it lands. Or not, not only own, own not only what and how you say it, but also how it lands. Yep. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So, you gotta be, you gotta be able to step into the other person's, you know, head or heart and be like, how is this going to land if I just lash out or if I just drop a bunch of, you know, guilt, uh, or whatever on this person. And you're going to shut down communication, which is going to ineffectively diminish the mission effectiveness. You know? That's, I mean, that's exactly it. And I think that that's such an important piece of, uh, of, uh, of, of leadership and communicating in leadership is just kind of, Hey, I want to, I want to check myself against what you're thinking and that, and having that humility that, man, I might be wrong. Right. You know, it's interesting, uh, JC, you probably experienced this before when people are like, God, you know, I thought you Rangers were like big, badass, tough guys. And here you're talking about communication and emotional development. And, and cause I get all that, you know, all that, <laughs> all that stuff, you know, like big, tough Navy SEAL, and you're talking about these things. And I said, well, that's because, you know, in those environments, you know, we're facing life and death. And we had to, like, dig in and check our own, you know, biases and check our own bullshit. Yep. Otherwise, we're going to get our teammates killed. And so the big, tough ranger is actually pretty emotionally developed in most cases. And same with the SEAL. And you know, the ones who take leadership seriously, it's, it's a real conundrum for, for business leaders to really learn that. And I think it, one of the great reasons and I'll shut up here is that, or not a great reason, but one of the great outcomes of you going out and teaching leadership is that you've got such incredible credibility, right? And all you guys, McChrystal, you, you know, anyone who's out there who's been in combat, who's forged their emotional resiliency and communication styles under that kind of fire, it has a lot to offer corporate leader these days. Well, I mean, certainly, you know, it, it's nice to be able to take kind of the lessons learned uh, and and bring them elsewhere. But but I think I think again, you you nail it with, um, you know, I, I wrote in the back of my book is something that I'm really proud of, which it, it talks about how to be an inspirational leader. And and I talk about a bunch of things. I talk about fear, and I talk about you know, at the end of it, I talk about hope, and everybody's like hope. Hope's not a ranger word. What are you talking about? Hope, you know, and, and I, rangers lead the way. There's yeah. no hope there. And so, right. and so I, I really started looking at it and I said, you know what? Hope is an innate human requirement. We all sure. desire hope and leadership is about people and people are soft and gushy things. And so, you know what, mm-hmm. if you're going to be a good leader, you're probably going to have to know about some of that soft and gushy stuff. And that doesn't mean that you don't, you know, there are times and and you and I have both done this. I'm sure. Hey guys, we're doing this. This is the way we're going. Let's go. Mm -hmm. And we're not asking for input. We're doing, we're we're making a decision because of time or resources or whatever. 
but those those instances are few and far between and most of the time yeah. we have the ability to to be thoughtful and again it's about people and right. and people need a whole have a whole bunch of little needs and they're all different but if we think that you know they're like cans of coke or they're like bmws that we can just pour out and this guy's going to be like this guy I, I, you know now you're not leading you're managing and you're probably doing it really right. poorly too yeah, exactly. You know, we're, de- we're, we're describing the difference uh, between horizontal development, which trains skills and, and those to be managed, and vertical development, which basically trains those softer, you know, the softer side, the, the consciousness, the awareness, the communication, you know, the ability to be authentic, to drop into your heart and to feel into a conversation and, you know what I mean, really care. They're both important, but one without the other is kind of like, you know, uh, a weapon without its ammunition I think, these days. No, I, I think so. And and I, I recently, you know, I, I try not to do bumper sticker leadership because I think leadership is, uh, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a lot more complex because people are complex, but I, I always yeah. tell guys, Hey, you, you can't lead what you don't love. And, and love in mm-hmm. my mind is care and acceptance. You know, I accept right. who you are and how you are and I care about you. And I'm going to try to, you know, develop you in the ways that you, you need to be developed or you want to be developed. And, and if you, you can't lead something that you don't love or care for. That's awesome. I love that. And what probably a great place to kind of, to wrap things up here. So your book again is light in the darkness, leadership for the unknown. That's available at uh, Amazon and all those places. Yes, and, it's on Amazon. Okay, good. And your website, if I'm not mistaken, is JC Glick, G L I C K.com. Yep. That's it. All right. So before we close, let's get back to the vets. You know, so we started um, the Courage Foundation about a year and a half ago. And this is, you know, my initiative to really bring Unbeatable Mind, you know, the training, largely what we've been talking about, you know, the, the training of the mind, body, spirit, you know, emotional resiliency, all that, uh, using the tools of integration, right, breath, visualization, mental dialogue, you know, task orientation, ethos development, fear management, all that, bringing it to populations that are suffering. And so originally chose veterans, abused women, and prisoners. And we've donated thousands of books into the prison system. And I've met and talked to wardens. And, you know, there's a lot of interest in that, uh, in Unbeatable Mind in that, in that environment too. But then we found we just, we really had trouble raising money. And this issue with the vets was so, like, front and center and needs to be addressed right now that we kind of shifted focus to just focusing on the vets. So that's where we're at. Now, we're, we're experts at the training, but I don't have great inroads into, like, where these vets are and how can I corral, you know, 30 to 40 or 50 of them this year into a program. What are your thoughts on that? Any, any way you can help? Yeah, out? absolutely. So so um, we've started a, a not-for-profit called uh, the ARMA Initiative to help veterans uh, integrate into purposeful jobs. Um, and that's going to be across the Ranger, SEAL, and Delta community. Um, awesome. And then um, we do a lot of work with Shootout for Soldiers, Mission 22, um, as as well as uh, the Gallant Few um, and the Ranger Lou the Way Fund. Um, and right. I, I would absolutely love to start integrating. I mean, I think about – you know, we've got shootout for soldiers coming up, which is a, a lacrosse event, but um, pretty 
pretty highly attended in Long Island, um, where we'll have um, one, a whole lot of people who can donate to, uh, I, I think they've separated a little bit too much and, and this year they're getting back to it. Um, the playing of lacrosse and what it's for. It's for the, it's for the veterans. Mm. So there's going to be a whole education part this year about, you know, there's going to be veterans. Um, you know, I'm lucky enough to be speaking. Um, there's going to be some other veterans speaking and, and being able to, you know, have booths and, and doing the fundraising thing there. And then being able to reach out through our networks, uh, through, you know, and I think mission 22 is, is just such a great, um, I don't know if you've read his book, but it's, it's, it's really fabulous. And, and I'll tell you, so mission 22 obviously started from 22 veterans a day that commit suicide. And, uh, you know, I I say in all transparency, I I attempted suicide four times. And so this is an issue that's near and dear to my heart. And what we have to do is make it available, make these programs available to, to our veterans. So what I love about what you're doing with this, with this burpee challenge is, I got to be honest with you. I'm really tired of 22 push-ups a day because, <laughs> yeah, because join me in some burpees, man. <laughs> because awareness awareness is different than action, and yes. so so what we need to do is take it to action. And how do we stop? You know, they said, well, we're down to 20 suicides a day. Well, no, you just change the definition of what you call suicide. You know, what what a soldier is right. or what a service member is. They just made the the time period shorter after they leave. So now it's a civilian who's killing themselves. Yeah. Um, and so, so I think that, uh, you know, what I'd like to do is, is link you up with a couple of those and, and we'll do that through us as well and, and yeah. kind of help you get out there. Cause I, I love that you want to help veterans and I've been looking, you know, I think I mentioned you XPT, uh, with what Laird mm-hmm. Hamilton's doing. I saw that and I said, boy, this would be great for vets. Mm-hmm. And, and I know they're interested, but you know, to go to an XPT event is, you know, it's like three thousand dollars for three days, or four thousand dollars for yeah, three no, days. Right. And and what, what, we, what we're trying to do is completely subsidized, and it needs to be vets only. Yep. Right. And and the and the people who are providing the aftercare need to be vets who are like you and I who made it through, but we understand the issues and are trained in the tools and methods. You know, otherwise you don't get the buy-in. And that's my opinion. No, I think, I think, I think, I think, universal you're, truth. I think, I think you're a hundred percent right. So, so here's my pledge to you, you know, after this, I'm going to introduce you to all my contacts uh, in my network so that we can figure out how to get this, how to get you out to the veterans. And then um, all of us that want to continue to help, I mean, we'll, we'll go get the training and we'll start to do the 18 month program. And uh, we're, you know, I'm in and I can probably speak for another five of us. Uh, That'd be cool. That, uh, awesome. you know, it, it, this is, I'm so glad that I found out you're doing this. Um, I'm, uh, I'm going to be a huge supporter. This is, this is going to be my new thing. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to following up on that separately. And, uh, thanks for your time today. You see, but really, really interesting and, um, you know, deep conversation around how to be a, an effective leader in this day and age. So I look forward to seeing you in person soon. Yeah, I look forward to it. And thank you. Uh, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's, it's an honor. Thanks, JC. Thank you. All right, folks, you heard it. JC Glick. Check about jcglick.com. Please check out his, um, his book and, you know, everything else that he's up to. He's got a new book coming out, so just pay attention to that. Uh, the book is titled Light in the Darkness, Leaders, Leadership of the Unknown. And stay tuned because it sounds like JC and I 
Uh, we'll be hooking up through the Courage Foundation and some, you know, his organization, Armor Initiative, and Mission 22 to, to really um, add some rocket fuel to our initiative. By the way, JC, I know you're still listening, but we are, um, we've got over 6 million of those 22 million burpees already pledged and um, three months of those in the bank and then 125 grand already pledged. That's awesome. Halfway toward our goal. That's awesome. Yeah, we got um, Mike. Microsoft just joined with a team and a matching, you know, a, a double matching thing. Uh, Joe DeSana of Spartan is spinning up a personal team. Um, Jesse Itzler is working with his group. He's a, a billionaire that owns the Hawks. Uh, he's doing, he's got this thing called We Do Hard Stuff, and they're doing their challenge this month all around it. So we're starting to get some momentum. It's not just like, hey, this is on a piece of paper concept. You know, we're, we're actually really doing it well i'm going to uh so i'm speaking uh to the nfl uh tomorrow and on monday and i'm going to let them know about it and see if i can get some teams involved in the in the challenge (laughs) that would be awesome yeah check out the info burpeesforvets.com and that's also linked to our courage foundation website the website's being redone so it needs a little bit of a spruce up Uh, i don't know if you've run into josh mance or greg amundsen they're on my board of directors josh mance uh was an army guy like you. He wrote Darker Soul. Uh-huh. Uh, he, was, he was killed in, killed in combat and then uh, resuscitated after 15 minutes and then went through that death spiral like you did with, with post-traumatic stress and guilt and suicidal thoughts. But um, an incredible guy. You guys need to hook up for sure also. I'd love that. I'd love that. We'll make that happen. All right, buddy. Thanks. Thanks again. Let's let's get in touch. My email is Mark at SealFit. Really easy. You probably remember that one. Oh yeah. And uh, my my executive director, yeah, my executive director is John Atwater. So I'll hook you up with him for the foundation. All right, we'll get you. Uh, we'll get you hooked up, and I'll uh, I'll get you hooked up with everybody on my side, and and uh, see how we can help. Awesome. All right. Great chatting. With it was you. good chatting with you, and thank you for having me again. Yeah. Yeah. You bet. Right. My right. pleasure. Take care. Back, the pride of the fleets, the bright swinging frogmen of the UDs.